Oh my god, it's 2020. Ooh. I can't believe it. Oh, it's been entire yeah, like baby. yeah, we, we've been going for it almost a year now. We're celebrating 2019 and you know, it's been a decade of film. That's such an exciting time to be talking about movies. And I'm so glad that we're celebrating it today on this episode, Craig. This this guest list is amazing. We've got I can't so, believe we've it. We've got so, good. so many people in it. It's such a fun party. Oh my god. We've got like the real experience coming in. We've got Joe and Dan. We're gonna be able to see like Kelly and Matt from like the you know they appeared in the first episode. We're gonna be seeing like Erin again and she'll be in person this time. It won't be like over Skype with that terrible, you know, audio problem we had. Yeah, thanks, Facebook. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's it oh, and I can't wait to see some of the other people we've managed to get. Like Brad, I know Doctor Who is guest filmed in Cardiff, but the fact we got Bradley Walsh, I am still I know, amazed right? by that. It's so good. What, what time did you tell everyone to get you? Wait, what? The invite you put out. When did you tell everyone? And the invite I put out, mate. I yeah. don't. I don't deal with booking guests. That's always been your thing. I know, but we said for this one, you said specifically, I will take control. What the hell, man? You no, always no, take over the guests. No, you were doing the guest this time. Like, why would I? Why, why would I think that we have Bradley mate, Walsh not, and the cast I'm of not, Gavin and Stacey? I'm not Facebook friends with half these people. You are friends I, I'm with not, these people. I'm not Facebook friends with Ruth Jones. I don't know what you're telling. Where did I get that from? Welcome to Well Good Movies and Happy New Year. Yes, this is the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. And it is 2020. Yes, guys. Yo, yo, yo. We have had an entire year of great films in 2019. We started the podcast in that year, but we've also had a great decade of movies as well. So today, me and Craig are here to break down some of our highlights of the movies of the decades. So it is myself, your host, David Oscar, joined by my friend and co-host Craig McDonald, and yeah, Craig, how, how was your Christmas? It was it was good. It was made better by the fact that you addressed me as a friend first and the co-host second. It's quite a rare thing that we've only got the two of us for this episode, so it's just acknowledging then that we haven't got that uh, cold, uh, argumentative tone that you usually get on episodes. Think? Well, yeah, and judging by that opening, you wouldn't you would think otherwise. But what? How did you feel as like you know for for us as well? Good movies as as tw- how did twenty nineteen feel for you? Well, it's nice to get the revival going. I mean, the one thing that we we tried to have with the original podcast, but we didn't quite get there just because of the fact that we had four fixed people was just the consistent sh- um, uh, recording structure. I I really like the format we've got going now. The fact that. We've had so much support from the guests that we've got, uh, that we've had, and we've been able to have like such a diverse range of opinions. It's been it's been fantastic, and just the website's doing really well. I'm really happy with that. Also, just for us as film fans as well, we're doing really well. I mean, we're we're quizzing and winning things again, yeah, which is nice. Uh, yeah, it's like you said, we've got you know a great pool of people that you know like we can consider a part of uh, like the team and stuff like that. So we've made some great new friendships, etc. And yeah, it's really exciting at the moment uh, because it is 2020. This is our first episode of the year. Uh, it is means that we have had 10 years of fantastic films. You've had some real big changes in the last decade. And that's what we want to talk about today and why it's also significant that it is just me and you today, Craig, because people get more an idea of like our personal highlights, some of our favorites, but also what we believe to be some of the impactful films of the decade in terms of like cultural significance or ones of just uh, noteworthiness so we'll be going through some of our favorite films and talking about why they're the standouts and best movies of the decade so as usual it means that we'll be putting films into our movie vault which is the vault of films that preserves them for all time for our friend the film god and uh, yeah there'll be lots of different conversations going on uh, and lots of favorites uh, as we break down you know, the different years by going through, you know, 2018, 2017, 2015, we'll go through each different year and picking out some of our like standouts and favorites from that year. Before that, though, I thought we'd just get sort of like a quick summary of where we are in terms of like movies for the decade going into 2020, because there has been quite a lot of change. And we've seen like the movie industry massively uh, revolutionized. I know a big one for me is obviously streaming. We've seen like that completely change now that you've got things like Netflix and Amazon on the scene. 
Uh, Craig, I know you've got um, some sort of notes there on some of the highlights that uh, we've pinpointed. Uh, what, what did you find the most interesting? What I find interesting is the fact that we've had a, a range of different film uh, trends uh, rise and fall. For example, uh, this decade saw the rise and fall of 3D films, the fact that you would often have films that would base themselves all around their, uh, the idea of their 3D and even having uh, 3D films themselves. They've they've basically come and gone now. So uh, a lot of those films just don't get made anymore. Instead, what you have is a lot more focus on, on things like uh, the digital filmmaking aspect. So you have films... Uh, focusing a lot more on the fact that they want to produce themselves with IMAX and you have like IMAX being a lot more prevalent. You also have like uh, Dolby Atmos as well, uh, being incredibly popular amongst film fans. Uh, we're, we're experiencing Frozen Fever, not the, not the animated short, uh, you know, thing, uh, piece of crap. Um, but the actual, the fact that Frozen uh, spent such a long time dominating people's minds with like Let It Go, uh, inspiring an entire new generation of animation. So uh, moving away from like uh, the 2D aspect and making 3D something that's actually like incredibly popular and marketable. Um, you, you also had people actually saying Let It Go by the end of it as well. <laughs> oh yeah, obviously. Uh, like those those people are right um the fact that you're seeing you're seeing a lot more diversity in film uh these days but also not just the fact that you get diverse films the fact that you get uh really prominent stories which i'm sure we'll be talking about in this episode but you also get incredibly strong movements so you have the idea of like oscars so white so looking at like the race relations between uh uh like the oscars and different minorities and how they're represented within film um, you have smaller smaller franchises rising up, but also creating really strong franchises such as like the John Wick series, uh, going uh, you know bringing more popularity to Keanu Reeves or the Keanu Sons. I've been told it's I, I don't know what this is. What is it, David? <laughs> the Keanu Sons, which is basically uh, kind of like how Matthew McConaughey had like a hot moment a few years ago where you're just seeing uh Keanu Reeves you know in Toy Story 4 in SpongeBob in John Wick he's in quite a lot of films this year and yeah seems to be more popular than ever yeah and also he's just an incredibly lovely guy so he deserves the popularity from it uh what else is happening oh yeah Disney buying things they're buying everything they have Fox now yeah like literal Fox like when Disney Plus comes over here in a in a about a month or month or two's time much content on that platform that you could pretty much just watch anything at this point um also in terms of like other cultural movements within film i think there's two that need to come up one is the idea of uh we've had certain movements such as like me too coming up which is also uh looking at diversity within films but in a in terms of like actual treatment uh of actors we've had uh several several stories from people talking about their experiences um and it seemed to like basically the downfall of certain producers now like harvey weinstein will never work in this town uh this town uh of hollywood yeah. uh ever again but also the fact that you now have like a lot more films looking at society such as say joker has had an incredible impact looking at uh how different people act within society mm. uh and you have this meme alongside it of we live in a society mm. uh yeah there's just been a lot going on in, in these in these 2010s yeah. um and i can't wait to see what 2020 brings yeah exactly there's been you know massive changes and i think like you said uh technically in the way that we make films but also uh, the types of films that we see which we'll be talking about uh today so our main topic today is movies of the decade we'll be going through each individual year um randomly as we saw like make our way uh through what we saw feel the conversation is going and, and picking out like our highlights of the decade and uh, putting them into the movie vault So we're not going to go in any particular order on this. We're just going to sort of go in and see where the conversation flows um, in terms of the different years. Um, I think personally, yeah, there's a few different years which I could, I could pick out from from where I would want to go. But I would say 2015. Oh, 2015 is by far the strongest year for film. Yeah. So in I, terms of this decade. Yeah, I think, and and mad that it is like literally like the middle point of of that. But I think. Yeah, 2015 had some massive films, and but also in terms, even though it wasn't just franchises, it was just some real standout different films. It was, it wasn't. You look at other years, like I looked at one of the summers. It might have been 2016, and it was just literally like sequel 
I just had, had struck that year. It was crazy looking, even when we were in that year, I think it was mad. But looking back on it, it was crazy as well. But um, yeah, 2015 for me was such a great year. And I think, you know, when we originally uh, were doing film talk back then with um, our friends Chris and Dale, and I think then we sort of did like a highlights of the year or best films. And my favorite film of that year is still now the film that I'm going to mention now, which is Mad Max Fury Road. For me, it does encapsulate so many aspects of the decade in the sense that it might have not been the most financially successful film, but it certainly changed the conversation. You know, you had big awards buzz. It took home loads of awards. And yeah, it might not taken any of the, you know, the big awards home. But that, that film really made, made a sort of impact for film fans and for movie fans. So even though general audiences might not go on board with it, you know, we saw the very best of Charlie Theron and Tom Hardy. You know, you had a great uh, comeback for George Miller and there's still talk and demands for him to come and, you know, make a sequel. So for me, Mad Max Fury Road was such a different type of film. It was such a roller coaster ride of a film. And again, it's just so visually striking. That's why it stuck the test of time for me, because it, it, it it's visually it stands out. Just the fact as well, it made the Academy recognise the value of supreme action films. It was a film that basically had very little dialogue, um, but was dictated by essentially like the choreography of its of its incredible action. The fact that they didn't really write the film, they basically storyboarded the entire, uh, the, the entire film. And it just shows it has some of the most striking visuals and just genuine effort put into a film that I've ever seen and like it was as someone who didn't care about Mad Max and I was really reluctant to go yeah um I was blown away I'm glad that I I'm glad that I did yeah exactly and I think it's also when you're talking about films of the decade as well there might be a film that came out that year which then you've never revisited or didn't stick around much in your mind but Mad Max is one of those as well where I have rewatched it and it it keeps up every time. Like it, it, it doesn't depreciate in quality. I enjoy it just as much every time. Um, and there's new elements you get to enjoy about it. And I think also something that, you know, we didn't talk about when we were saying about highlights of the 10 years was, you know, the conversation of VFX and practical effects, mm. which have made a massive comeback thanks to films like this and Star Wars, but also that integration with VFX artists will say, you know, practical effects are really important as well because they like that collaboration between the two they don't want things to just be cgi fests and i think that this is a perfect example of that as well oh yeah just the fact that the variety like the vast majority of cgi uh cgi effects in this film were what distant backgrounds and maybe some some of the cars yeah exactly yeah or like just to sort of make the some of the practical effects more believable when they jump in back and yeah. forth or something like that so yeah, it, it you know, it, it's definitely one of my favorite films from the past 10 years. I think there's some really cool moments. You've got great characters like Furiosa um, and, you know, Immortan Joe, the villain. Again, not somebody who has like a massive amount of dialogue. But again, it's just a really great villain in that you just understand what his motives are, what he wants. And, he, you know, he drives the story, but also so do Max and Furiosa and all the characters that they come across uh, along the way. I, I think, you know, so such a sort of standout film um another one from that year again which i need to highlight and you know fittingly with its title is spotlight yeah um this was also highlighted by um our previous guest ali so she had won our end game in the musical episode so we said you know you can uh, bring up a film or a choice you know guess to choose something in a future episode you know and i said to her what what is you know, a standout for you for the last decade. And immediately her answer was Spotlight. And I was so happy that she chose it because, um, you know, it it triggered me to, to revisit the film. And again, a film that still stands up so well. And, you know, you can often have films that are sort of awards contenders or dramas, which haven't got the best rewatch value because either you've sort of like learned the story, so there's not much more to like rewatch. You know, it, it might just be depressing or it might be dark. And and what I really appreciate about this when I watched it and when I rewatched it is that it's really a film that highlights the importance of script and editing and character and the way you place things into a story. A lot of the times these award films can be dictated by things like performance or the style of directing or the choices they're made. 
But I think this, like, this is a real good example of why a script is so important because they they keep you interested and engaged throughout the entire story, even though really it's only, you know, investigative journalism could, because it's such a drawn out, stretched out process, it could be quite boring. Um, but they really make it interesting by having you sort of like almost become a part of the team, you know, as they're discovering things and as they're getting new information, you're like, oh my God. And I think what I most appreciate about it as well is that they make it so that they're, they're talking about, um, you know, the Catholic priests like molesting young children, etc. But the story is about how they broke that and how they told the world. It's about the newspaper. It's about how they break that story, how they tackle that issue. And has, as they say in the film, take on the system. Yes. For me, I mean, I commented at the time when I saw the film that I think one of the greatest things I found about it was also like the sensitivity towards the uh, towards the issue, right? I think I think they did a brilliant job at telling the story in a way that was also not necessarily demonizing to the point that you'd expect. Even in the moments where you'd expect the most demonization, so the fact that one of the reporters finds out one of the sort of rehoming systems that uh, the Catholic Church used to move their priests ended up being like down the road uh, from his house you would have expected some form of like violent outbursts and so like aggressive confrontation, which you get in a lot of like award contenders, right? They want that big dramatic moment. Mm. Uh, and the fact that they just didn't have those sort of moments that I think the most you get is that he takes the paper and jumps it outside of the house when the story is released. Yeah. I just, just moments like that, just so, showing the fact that they like have constraints and they just want to tell the story like in a genuine sense. And like, it just drove the characters in really just really passionate but but realistic ways not just overblown not just showing off the perform not just showing off the performances but actually just getting that sense of grounded life like i said it because we watched it the day before the oscars yeah um and i think from that point on i i think up until that point i think i was like i wanted mad max to win mm. Uh, very determined about the fact. And the moment we came out of Spotlight, I I just sort of decreed mm. Spotlight should win. Yeah. And it and then I woke up to text messages from you. Yeah, thanks for not ringing me, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, just woke up to a variety of text messages just saying Spotlight won. Yeah. And I was just overjoyed. Yeah, it was a great moment as well because I think there was some other big favourites that year, wasn't there? Maybe like... It was, a, I think it was The Revenant. Revenant, I thought so, yeah. So, yeah, it was a great win as well for... Because it did win one of the screenplay awards as well. So, again, a great win for writing. And I think you're absolutely right about how they don't demonise things. That's something I really appreciated about the film is the fact that they didn't make it so like, oh, well, let's make, you know, one of the victims a main character or on this show, you know, one of these incidents is happening or let's show, you you know, scenes inside yeah. the church, etc. And I think that scene you mentioned about that guy who, you know, has the rehabilitation center around the corner from his house the fact that you never see his family is quite amazing so the fact that they you never see his family or you never see any of anyone coming out of that house yeah um another again highlight which i had to mention was uh inside out which obviously i know you will agree with we talked about this in our pixar episode yeah um a film with such emotions such inventiveness a fantastic score and great characters and again uh, every time I watch it, it just does not, you know, lose anything. Um, it's just as emotional every time you watch it. There's been a lot of animated films, a lot of Pixar films uh, throughout the years. But I think for me, this is definitely, this would be the standout. Because again, as much as I enjoy things like Coco, you know, I think that, you know, is successful through things like the songs. Whereas like Inside Out, you know, is successful on many different uh, attributes of it the It literally film. takes one of the most difficult topic matters for for most people to understand and explain it in an incredibly sensitive, uh, believable, child-friendly way. The idea that you you have people who have taken such degree to, to understand the ways in which, like, the human mind works, especially with, like, topics like, you know, depression and... Like isolation and stuff as well, maybe. Yeah, a bit like isolation, I guess. Um, just the fact you have those concepts and, like, how it builds up. It's not feeling sad it's feeling nothing which is worse than feeling sad and just just a very incredibly mature idea that like feeling sad is okay um it's what you it's what you do with that sadness that that changes things and i think just having it personified emotions uh, was a great way of doing that uh, any other sort of standouts for you from 2015 so 
I think we'd be remiss to not talk about the fact that it was obviously the year that brought back Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so obviously uh, it was the year that we had The Force Awakens. Um, you know, there's still obviously debate uh, amongst the community about whether or not that's fundamentally a good thing. But mm. I think the bigger discussion needs to be had is like whether or not like we're happy to have Star Wars back in our lives. And I think Force Awakens does at least bring that to us. It, it at least also brings forward a community who often felt you know betrayed by what a lot of the prequels did uh in terms of like its absolute over reliance on cgi and the idea of you know not necessarily sticking uh, true to the heart of star wars Mm. and going off on the like the mass rambly sort of trade union Mm -hmm. bull yeah um and also just bringing in like a like a new cast of characters which like generally likable in their own like own right um and even though like you know there are elements in which they do just copy new hope yeah um and it's just nice to see like a lot of the old cast coming back and just seeing like how these stories are developed um and also seeing star wars just going back to like you know practical effects it's just it was just a nice nice fun experience to have in the december yeah and it obviously just triggered then the the wave of star wars we've gotten since which for some people is a curse more than the blessing uh the other film that i would like to mention uh again it's award contender it's an it's an adaptation really really dark film that i think at the time we were i don't want to use the word scarred but it definitely left an impact on us uh which is room yeah um like fantastic film Mm. really really bleak subject matter yeah um you need to be in the right mindset for this film but again it was just utterly like utterly fascinating film the fact that you take this child who was raised for all of his life in absolute captivity um of like a really abusive situation and not only seeing not only seeing the this horrible looking world through his naive eyes and seeing a weird sense of beauty from it but also seeing how he adapts to like new life and and just like how that how he still has like a yearning to go back to that old world and like how he gets past that yeah. and like that sort of demystifying of his world and also just Brie Larson just absolutely nailed the performance like earning that Oscar outright yeah any other years now you think as as next ones you think of of highlight that stand out to you which may be quite different to 2015 I think for me I'd like to look a little bit at the beginning of the decade which is uh, 2010 yeah uh, purely because this is around the area where I mean, first of all, when it comes to like award contenders, it's where I'm essentially dipping my toe in uh, slightly. But I think there's one film from that decade, uh, from that, well, not decade. <laughs> 2010. In, in, <laughs> and oh, the entire sorry, pocket. Sorry, ten, 10 years is a decade. Yeah. So seeing 2010, I was like, oh, decade. <laughs> yeah. No, seeing there's one film from that year, which still has a massive impact on my life, because I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like outside influences that, but um I think it's worth talking about uh, Toy Story 3 because originally that mm. was a film that was meant to like end an era, um, which seems to be a, a, a weird theme for the beginning of the 2010s, ending of eras. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like I still go back to Toy Story 3 because I, I still believe it to be the definitive ending of the Toy Story. Right. And basically in terms of film, just an end of my childhood, Yeah. Um, which is depressing. Um and just the fact that I still enjoy it. I, I still love the characters of that film. I still love, like, the mature the mature look at, like, aging and, like, moving on with friendships and relationships. And just that's something that's been a recurring theme throughout the decade for me, just the sort of n- changing nature of French, uh, friendships and relationships. Plus also, I think, in terms of, like, we talk about Inside Out being definitive Pixar, like, story. I agree with that. I think in terms of definitive Pixar, like, animation i think mm. toy story 3 is definitely that i think that's where they really got into this their stride of just the really strong sharp like color and just mm. just absolute uh framing and just designs of all the characters i think the way in which they use the stories and use the nostalgia it's basically it's basically perfect i think the ending um is is the best definitive ending uh that the franchise got um we won't discuss Toy Story 4 here because I will get angry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's still, it, it's one of the films that had like a massive impact for me uh, from that year. Um, and like I said, just, yeah. 
Yeah. I, th- I think in some ways it's talking about Toy Story 3, though, it's still worth a small mention of Toy Story 4. I think that I can still look at Toy Story 3 as a definitive ending because I still feel that Toy Story 4, because it didn't have much of a story for Jesse, Mr. Potato Head, etc. I still see 3 as that accumulation oh, of yeah, like, I, the gang, etc. I agree with that. I just think in terms of like what happens with Woody, mm. um, it's still very much up in the air in terms of like whether or not I accept mm. his final outcome if yeah, that makes sense that that's fair um i think what's also strong about it like you said in the vividness of the animation and the story is that you know you can't get a better representation of toy story when mm. you're in a daycare center and the filmmakers you know said themselves you know we wanted to take this chance to really have a big colorful cast so you know like epitomizes when they get there like new toys and you've got all these different characters and toys you can look at and every time i watch it again i'm sort of looking in the background like oh what toys over there what toys over there and you got like the sort of like villain gang and again they're made up of completely different characters so you look at toy story one and two and you know you get you know your stinky pete and um bullseye and different characters are introduced but you never get that entire sort of like world of characters introduced like they did and again in toy story four they didn't do that really either so and i think that's what makes three um unique and also the fact it's it's essentially a, a great prison escape movie as well <laughs> also just kind of terrifying because they have like they have characters such as the the monk yeah the, like the watching monkey and yeah it's just, big baby as well is quite terrifying yeah big baby and just the fact that they're all under the command of like lotso yeah just who is the most initially disarming sort of like old gentlemanly pink bear and yeah. just turns out to be a basic psychopath yeah i actually saw a um thing online and it was um best villains of the decade so yeah. we had like the likes of you know your thanos and loki and um i think that david they, going very old there is like you got your thanos yeah. um but they also threw in like um like the daughter from get out and um silver from skyfall oh yeah spoiler on get out by the yeah. way um but they uh also have uh lots like in the middle which i found quite funny because it's just like all these like human realistic characters and then just a pink bear (laughs) which is very justified um i'm actually for for that year um i didn't pick it out again because in my mind i was just like well you know i you know i still to me toy story was still is still my favorite of the entire so that's why i didn't go well if it's not my favorite toy story film does it deserve the pinpoint but you know i think you're right for everything you mentioned but i wanted to highlight for animation tangled because I think that did some really great things for um, Disney animation. I think they got onto a good start with like Bolt. Um, and I think, you know, they've done great things with Moana and Frozen. But I still think the Tangled uh, not only holds up, but is better than those two films. Because you have such likable leads in uh, Rapunzel and Eugene. Um, you have great characters like Maximus. Max, yeah. Max. Um, you got the chameleon in there. Uh, Mother Gothel is a fantastic villain. You have some really great songs in there. And it's just a really feel-good film. And again, animation quality, it showed a step up for Disney because they went with the idea originally of they wanted it to look like the sort of swinging girl uh, painting. And obviously a bit of that gets lost in the fact that you're not doing things like 2D animation. But they do really make it a very vivid, beautiful film. And I, again, I think that the um, lantern scene is still very, very iconic. And I think you know as to me i think that is just as good as like moments like you saw like beauty and the beast ballroom scene i really really think that that is like a a great scene and a great song and i think doesn't get enough um admiration but you know i i I really think the tangled was a great star for disney animation and, and one of my favorites from them in the past 10 years on the entire flip side, though, a film that I have to mention just because, again, I think that this film still sticks in my mind. One, for, like, how much it creeps me out, but, again, how much it sort of changed film. Is oh, Black- you're going to say it. Black Swan. Yeah, Black Swan. Yeah. Uh, what's your feelings on Black Swan? I've only been able to watch it the once. It was an incredible experience, but I wish not to to repeat it again. Like, it's weird. I have, the, I have this debate, like, a fair bit with people because... Um, Many people, many people like to compare Black Swan directly against my favorite film of all time, which I'm, uh, I'm sure we'll get to that. Soon. Yeah. Um, like I think it's incredible what they do, and I think Natalie Portman like absolutely nails the performance. But my God, the the elements to which they go with the the psychoanalysis is is just incredibly disturbing. But 
but incredible but also just poignant the fa- the fact that they use these visual effects the fact that you have the the peeling away of the skin to reveal feathers <laughs> and just oh I, I i can't deal with it talking about it but at the same time it, it's just perfect allegory for what the wrong kind of drive will do to you and just yeah. i think they i think they visually pull it off really well and just and just it's one of the most excitingly shot films i've seen as well just the fact that obviously the way they have to edit it all together with the dancing it still does it in a very disturbing but still dramatic and glorif like and glorific no no that's glorified way not glorified uh triumphant i think is what i was trying to say i don't know how that works um (laughs) yeah just the fact that you have like all of these images and just the fact that even the final scene alone just Hmm. there's a lot of glory in this idea of just pointless harm i think that shot of like natalie portman so like turn into the screen with sort of like the red eyes and the sort of like pure black swan uh, look is very striking and i think the end of the film is a perfect sort of like uh finale for that as well um whereas a lot of films of that type might be too tempted to go either too meta or too here's the message kind of thing um or they want to wrap it up in some way um but i think that one just perfectly encapsulates what's that what that story is about and yeah it's just very very much stuck with me as as not only as well like you said a film that you go well is that my favorite film does this deserve uh, recognition is always stu- stood in my mind of well there's my favorite film like your tangles in your toy yeah. three because you enjoy it but there's the films that you have to say well i think that is one of the best because of what it achieved and what it did so it's those yeah. different categories as well i'm gonna go for 2012 so i think there's quite a f- a lot of films that sort of made quite an impact in that year and there's quite a lot of big films big franchises so again in terms of ones that i saw say are like standouts it's actually quite difficult because in some ways other films have come along and trumped those or derailed other ones as well in some ways so they've actually done good for the original film or they've done bad for the original film um so i'd probably say that the one film that isolates itself from the like did bad things for that film is avengers yeah um but in my mind it was hard for me to sort of like pick it as like i want to talk about this film and analyze it because even though the nostalgia and the originality of that film still stands out to me that i'll always love it i think it's then hard to sort of like talk about what makes avengers great when you know that age of ultron infinity war and endgame steps it up so much every single time and i also think that they are personal favorites in the marvel cinematic universe that we can go on to for other years but i think it's of note of what they did in that film yeah i think it's important to acknowledge the fact that it's the one film that had to succeed in order to be able to uh solidify marvel's position as holding this uh cinematic universe because it was the most ambitious film crossover of all time i i realize that's a meme mm-hmm. and i'm sorry but <laughs> It was the most ambitious crossover of all time. And I think it is I think it is worth discussing about the fact that it just did succeed. Mm. They they had even though like other film formulas do it better, so I think like obviously with each Avengers uh Avengers installment we get, we generally get something even stronger, with Infinity War being my personal favourite of mm. No, sorry, did I say Infinity? I meant Endgame. Endgame, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> With the one but last being my personal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, end game. Yeah. It was the end of the Infinity War. Like, yeah, you yeah. can see where I got confused. Um, but I think it is important. I, I think I can recommend the film if literally it does something, if it does something that warrants like a greater existence, right? So mm. I, so David will know this story, but I'm just telling you, the viewers, uh, also reminding you that David lost his competition I'm about to talk about. So... When I did uh, movie fights at Cardiff University, uh, one of the debates I had to do is what is the most rewatchable, uh, what is the most rewatchable film of all time? And I argued it was the Avengers, because in with the ever expanding MCU and the desire to constantly go back and rewatch films uh, to basically make sure you're up to date with everything, you have to go back and watch the Avengers and just see like how they how they brought all these people together in the first place and how they built upon uh, the relationship of those characters. And just, so for me, even if it is not necessarily the best, it is going to be the one that I talk about a lot because 
it's the one that basically made it all possible. I think any achievements that say uh, Age of Ultron, Infinity War, and Game Get is because of this film. So I think it's worth discussing. Yeah, and I also think that like the Battle of New York is still such a standout moment. So even though they let they amp it up in every single film that they got i still think that the battle of new york is still one of the most exciting action set pieces you've absolutely. got absolutely because you've got great achievements in that film such as like the the one shot that they do going through the city and like you're on the back of the space whale thing where like thor and then you go down to the ground and his cap and iron man you know i think that shot alone took like a year for the vfx and practical effects people to to come up with so um, you know, I think that is is noteworthy as well. Um, quite a different film that I was going to mention from this year. It wasn't originally one that I picked out, but um, our friend uh, Kieran Williams, who's going to be on our next uh, episode, uh, sort of highlighted this one because he sort of triggered the idea of having the movies of the decade when we, we were talking about um, future episodes. And I think it is of um, note once he brought it up because I enjoyed it. I enjoy elements of it in terms of the soundtrack many years later. I know you enjoyed it. And I think, again, you know, so saying, oh, one of the best films of the decade is a bit bizarre, maybe. But I think there's a lot of noteworthy things. And that's Cloud Atlas. Yeah. Um, because the the achievements that they make in that film are great the fact that they have so many actors play so many roles and transform themselves like i'll never look at hugo weaving the same after playing like i'll never look at tom hanks the same yeah and um is he hugh grant i think is plays some bizarre or was he no maybe is hugh grant in that maybe i'm thinking of hugo weaving one of the characters in that film you saw watch throughout and then at the end of the film they show you all the characters they play and you went oh that was hugo weaving as well so yeah there's there's some crazy crazy sort of like makeup work that they do in that film yeah so just to give you like a full range of who's in it so you've got tom hanks halle berry um yeah hugh grant is in the film yeah i thought so uh jim sturgis uh hugo weaving uh bay duna Jim Broadbent is a huge one. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like Susan Sarandon, uh, Keith David, like lots and lots of people. Yeah. That they so m- from what I remember, Hugh Grant has one of the most bizarre transformations of characters in that film. And yeah, like I said, it's just you have to appreciate it for the boldness of going from literally like, you know, thousands of years apart in terms of storytelling managed to link it in and yeah it's a very long film but also has a very nice and beautiful soundtrack as well and if you want a uh, soundtrack like i said i made the recommendation of room but um the end credits music is really nice and really nice actually to put you to sleep not in the way that it's boring but it actually sort of like transports you away sort of like in in the way a calm app might do <laughs> yeah for me before i can have any like further discussion about this film because i did mm. genuinely like it yeah um i know that a few fans of the original book didn't um yeah. and i'm curious to know exactly why i'm curious to know what it is that the book is able to handle uh in a better way that the film wasn't able to handle because i enjoy i i genuinely enjoyed the idea of over time you work out the idea that the the actions that these people committed basically transfer upon themselves in terms of like different lives and i i love the way that they transition certain characters and and certain uh certain perspe- uh, perspectives that they have in into ways of suffering mm. um i genuinely really enjoyed it um and the idea of like somebody could be good in one life and bad in another and that kind of stuff is quite yeah cool that's well. that's that that's the idea of like reincarnation and suffering right so yeah but um, yeah, maybe that's in the book is the idea that it's more like chapter based that it is just that entire storyline then that entire storyline. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's noteworthy for like how much it does for so like again practical effects and makeup and actors and all that kind of stuff. Um, some other sort of like shout outs, I think, um, like Wreck-It Ralph is great animation, which has been like ripped off in terms of like things like the Emoji Movie, which is horrible. But um, Wreck-It Ralph did great job of having a really inspiring story um a really sort of nice sort of like angle great world building um also just shout out because i don't think there's going to be many times that this genre comes up in in this discussion but i just want to give a shout out to 21 jump street actually for yeah com- def- for comedy because comedy doesn't really get that much um highlights especially these days because a lot of them might just go to streaming but i think the fact that it made a 22 dump- jump street 
And when you look at a lot of the films from the past few years, you look at things like, also things like The Muppets um, and the Lego movies, a lot of what works about those films is the meta humour that they use. Um, and 21 Jump Street, I think, is the most successful at that. So even though I always enjoy that sort of like meta humour, 21 Jump Street is the best of doing that idea of like, right, I'm going to give you like, you know, your your task. You're going to go infiltrate this high school and, you know, because and, you know, going through the tropes of that. And obviously 22 Jump Street goes to the extremes of that, of showing the end credit scene being an entire sequence of like what the potential sequels could be after it. But... 21 Jump Street, I think, is a highlight because it's small scale, but also big scale. It has some great sequences. Spoiler, but like the Johnny Depp cameo still (laughs) shocks me to this day. Um, You know, I think there's great chemistry in uh, with Jonah Hill um, and Channing Tatum, um, which I don't think we see enough of these days. You know, again, you've had loads of great comedies like This is the End and stuff like that. But I think this is really where they saw like, hit their peak you have like great comedians as well come in with um dave franco who was also great in um bad neighbors or neighbors as it's known in the us um and yeah i i think even also if you look at something like which i didn't jot down for 2010 but it's a bit of a stretch for like a movie of the decade but i did want to mention game to the greek yeah also featuring joan hill but again it stands the test of time in the terms of like the songs are so great in that like things like african child and fury wall are just like bizarre crazy songs but still quite relevant today in terms of like some of the i'm pop surprised music you didn't again. mention the clap well you know like by what my point was there is the things like african child you still get yeah. some songs which try to go down that sort of like angle of like this is too preachy or like you know look at me being all artistic etc um, whereas, yeah, I think the clap is more reminiscent of, like it is yeah. in the film of older good rock songs, etc. Um, and also to me as well, I'll still never forget watching that film and how much I was. Like, there's not many times where, like, a comedy does get you burst out laughing in the audience. But that chase scene where the Fury War thing happens and they're running down the road. Yeah. And then, um, you know, they, uh, what's the, the manager gets hit by the car, etc. Great moment. Um, and again, that's where I find the 21 Jump Street and all these films sort of go into that pool of great comedies, um, which is all like really off the wall, have great actors in them like Jonah Hill, etc. And, you know, I think is, is worthy of note. Um, so moving on uh, to another year. Yeah, I, I'm going to go actually for the next year because I think this would, would one will be for me. We've got Avengers and stuff like that. This is quite franchise light. Um and I think the one you need to mention, and we're going to be unified on this, is Philomena from 2013. Oh, definitely. One of, you know, like our favorite films from the past 10 years. And again, that experience of watching Room is very much the same as uh, with Philomena. It just struck and hit us on the emotional level. Yeah, but I think what Philomena does stronger than Room is that while Room goes for incredibly overwhelming emotion Mm. um there's a lot more light in philomena which makes it a more generally charming film yeah and a lot easier to get through so that when the actual darker more depressing elements do come in uh it's a lot it's a lot easier to sort of bear Mm. and i think again it's another film that like i'll say this a lot about like biopics because obviously like we end up talking about them a lot but one of my general favorite things about biopics is when you come out of a film having like a great deal of respect for a person. If Philomena Lee was exactly the way she was portrayed by Judy Dench, um, she is just somebody I would happily sit down and have a cup of tea with and just let her talk about whatever she wanted. Mm. I mean, some people like had gripes of how like Irish stereotypical Judy Dench was. Mm. Uh, I disagree with that. I think from what I've read, Philomena Lee utterly loved the performance, but also just, it was just like a, a great breakdown again, like, looking at like a problematic structure and just looking at like how it's hurt people but also just doing it incredibly like like soft way and just the mute oh the music yeah i i can't listen to that score without welling up yeah uh it's alexandra Desplat, i think isn't it yeah he does a fantastic job it's It's so soft and light it's such a great example also of when you get um so a lot of problems, like you said, with biopics is you can also have the like, oh, well, that didn't really happen. That's played up. You know, it, it's it's based on a book. The fact that you get um, like a lot of elements that are maybe played up, like the interactions between Philomena and Martin, 
you know, whereas, like they said in interviews and stuff, like, oh, was it really like that? I was like, oh, well, you know, to a degree, but obviously the film exaggerates it. But I think I was looking at this with the imitation game when I was looking through other films of the years. And I think it's those justifiable moments of being like, well, that didn't happen, but I'm I'm fine with that being there because it makes the film work. You need to make the film work as an hour and a half or two hour movie, not, you know, three months in America or whatever, like the, the reality was. Um, but it also, if it's going to, even if that wasn't an, if that sort of back and forth relationship or the tension between them wasn't an aspect of it, it's something that works so well in this situation. And also because again, Steve Coogan, you know, he's like, it's not like other films where you see your likes of your Stanley Tucci's and your Brad Pitt's and, you know, your, your typical awards contenders, seeing Steve Coogan on there and absolutely nailing it, but also bringing in a lot of other elements, because like you said, with Room, that very much goes with the, the one or two aspects of that film. But this works on so many different aspects. It's got, you know, the sort of journalism side of it about him, like, questioning what he's doing. you got a bit of, like, what you got in Spotlight when he saw, like, outbursts, you know, like, this was, you know, people's children. What were you doing? You know, why are you not more angry at this nun? You've got religious stuff. You've got, um, like, LGBT stuff with her and, like, her son, etc. So, you know, there's there's lots. I mean, of I will levels. I will say as much as that is a good element, that is obviously the most underplayed element of the film, oh, but which actually yeah. which actually works for its favor. Exactly. So yeah. I just wanted to make that clear in case people just thought like, oh, oh yeah. it's just shoving in loads of social issues together. No, no, no. no it's that, in, that's what's great about it. Is that yeah, they, no, it's done know. in a very understanding way in that she finds out that uh, she finds out that her missing son was gay and was just like, I always knew, um, yeah. and just incredibly accepting despite the fact that. Well, I shouldn't say despite the fact that she's a Catholic woman. But yeah. I think that's the strongest thing about it as well, the way they actually portray her religion. Even through everything mm. she's been through, she's incredibly she's incredibly devout to the ideals of the religion, not necessarily the structure, yeah. which is refreshing. And I think that, that's, that was like a good element of debate between her and like Martin Sixsmith, mm. um, just the element of that character. Um, can I also just recommend go and read the book? Because the book... Um, does cover like a lot of elements that don't get shown in the film because mm. the book goes more into like the actual lives of the children once they're actually in adoption yeah um and that's, that's fascinatingly but still again depressing story yeah and that's again a really great opening from the film i think that's what's so good about it is sucks you in from the get-go when she's there like screaming when like a child is taken away etc but then to have that on the opposite side like you said where's a lot of these films like imitation game or Black Swan will leave you sort of like on a dark or somber note. It's like, oh, well, a nice woman. They, you know, she like yeah. they, they show that different side of humanity. Just even which... the fact that the ending scene is her giving one of her like lovely little old person anecdotes. Yeah, of a book she's reading. Yeah, yeah like it was great. Um, yeah, so again, that that film, you know, I just love. Yeah, uh, although on the absolute Rufus. opposite end of the spectrum in terms of going from such a very like a small intimate like personal story mm. to an absolute large scale technical blockbuster mm. one of the films i want to talk about is gravity oh really like, wow yeah <laughs> i wrote wrote this down but i didn't think you'd want to go through that experience again <laughs> well gravity right yeah. so okay so just to give people a heads up like i have a, i have a little bit of a uh aerophobia <laughs> no it's not vertigo is vertigo it? yeah i suppose okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, a, a little bit. And so anything where it feels like fall. So essentially the fear of falling. Yeah. Um, uh, but you can't, even if I have that feeling, you can't deny how much of a technical masterpiece that gravity is, right? Yeah. Just. And also like when, like we said, we were looking at other films and you go, well, they, this is spawned into other ones. Like I said, Spotlight to the Post. Gravity has spawned such a like slew of like sci-fi, realistic, like, you know, ad astras and all that kind of stuff and then that's where you do realize well this is still you know the film that started that and did it to a better degree um, it's also the only film we force ourselves to go and see it in imax 3d to get like the full yeah. experience of it um but yeah. i think it was the right i think it was the right decision yeah and there's so many nice moments in that film i think the one that always has stood out to me again even though i haven't rewatched this film as many times the score i think was beautiful in that film because it was different but also that scene where uh, Sandra Bullock is in the um, transmission sort of like room of the satellite and she can hear that like baby crying, etc. Yeah. Like that, moments like that really sort of stand out. Um, and I think that's what makes that film like re really special. And again, goes with that idea of like adding another layer with the George Clooney aspect to it. I won't spoil this, but you know, it, it, it adds something different, which makes you think after the film as well, not so much just 
like other films you're just like oh it just was what it was kind of yeah. thing um so yeah i i agree it's it's led to a lot of great things um and i think things like arrival um the martian you know wouldn't have existed without without this film oh yeah um i think uh one that i do want to highlight on terms of like the sort of franchise or, or big blockbuster ones is for that year is catching fire the hunger games film just because again you know i think those films of are of note for me for the decade so i think this is the one that encapsulates it the best for me because it has all the elements that work in the other films and even though i enjoy a lot of the political elements of mocking j par one and i love the sort of like hanging tree song that they have and that idea of rebellion you do miss the uh the actual game itself the hunger game so that's what you know catching fire does so great is that you have the great elements of the capital you have the lavish lifestyles of the rich people you have the trauma and the darkness of what came before so even though the first film does a great job of painting this like dark image of like these people who sort of like live lavish lifestyles and put children into a death game the catching fire rebuilds really on that by then showing well what's the effect on those communities that lost those people so having like katniss go to the district where rue was from is obviously going to be very traumatic for her um you know you see that they have to live like oh you go to the um the victor's house and it's just this sad little you know cottage like which is all filled with snow so again it shows what a great job they did of this cinematically i think they made like a really striking film I love sort of dystopian future stuff. I always find it really interesting. Um, President Snow is a fantastic character. Um, I think Katniss is a great character. Um, Stanley Tucci is really fun in it as well as the host. And they just made a world. It's like, you know, Harry Potter and Avengers and everything. They made things that, you know, are very symbolic to that franchise, which don't seem like anything else at all. They added sound effects that, the, you know, like add to the little tributes they get sent to when they're in the games and they get sound effects of when they arrive etc so you know i think it's a really important film it really highlights as well kind of like what we we're talking about with the joker aspect of that you know cultural movement of people you know the rich versus the poor stuff so i really enjoyed it and i'm really glad that those films happened Hey guys, Dave here. That was actually part one of our Movies of the Decade special. We split it into two parts and the second part is coming on Monday the 6th of January. So you won't have to wait very long or if you're listening to this in the future, then you can just jump straight over to part two now where we are talking about our favourite movies from 2011, 2014, 16, 17, 18 and 19. We'll be playing our ever fun endgame and we'll be deciding what movies go into the movie vault. See you then potentially one of my favorite mcu films everyone thought it was just going to be a massive cash grab and what was it it was genuinely complex like funny innovative uh like the animation style really worked like really worked it was like the most different sort of animation so there you have gone i've genuinely gone through and counted how many times you said the name